Hello, welcome to the HR on the Offensive podcast. Um, it's Chris Howard here with you today, and this is a quick intro uh, just before I get into the main part of the podcast. The reason why I'm doing this quick intro is because the podcast that we've got for you today was actually done just before we went into lockdown. So I sat down literally a week before uh, Boris told us on 23rd of March that we all had to stay at home. I sat down with uh, Cecile Alpalaru, who is the Vice President of um, Human Capital Management in innovation at ultimate software and we had a really really good chat actually it was a really good chat about um we talked about her book which is called from dissonance to resonance which you can uh, you can get through all usual sort of book store places amazon all of that all of the like but it looked at how you can make the world of work a little bit more engaging for your people you know how do you bring back your workplaces into sync with better engagement and how you can break down the existing constructs of the workplace to improve the overall efficiency of your business now we were talking of course pre the uh, world changing events that um, we've seen in 2020 uh, but we did touch on bits of it and i think some of the points that Cecile mentions in today's podcast were certainly pertinent um, for us to have a conversation about. So I thought I'd bring you just a quick intro to um, to let you know that obviously it sounds like we're in the same room. That's because we are at the same room and that was before everyone uh, everyone was in lockdown. So Cecile and I had a chat in a, in a London hotel uh, just after the Ultimate Software had run uh, a couple of events that they were running uh, at the time, which was uh, towards the beginning of March. But uh, it was a really, really good chat. Good chat hope you enjoy it too um if you'd like to suggest any kind of other topics you'd like us to be talking about then of course uh, any of us at lace partners are happy to to look into those but i shall hand across to myself talking to cecile apple from ultimate software Hi, it's Chris Howard here from Lace Partners, and I'm on the HR on the Offensive podcast once again. Today, I'm joined by Cecile Alpa Leroux. Now, have I absolutely butchered? Not the at all. That there? was, was perfect. It okay? That was perfect. It's a French yeah. surname, yeah, and I true. will confess, I'm not very good with my French. I it's okay. A, I have a German family. <laughs> But that doesn't mean just because I'm a, I see myself as a European, uh, I'm very good at the French side of it. So my wife certainly could do French better than I. But no unfortunately, worries. you've got me today um, uh, and this HR on the offensive. So we'll podcast. have to take it. We'll have to take it. So Cecile, thank you very much for uh, for joining us today. You are VP of uh, Innovation, is it, at uh, Ultimate right. Software? So let's start with that. Okay. Um, and for our listeners, can you give, give me a little bit of background as to? what that role exactly entails, yeah. uh, your role at um, Ultimate Software. Yeah. Uh, and then I'm going to ask you to, uh, to give me an answer as to why you love your job. Okay. Uh, which should be a lovely, uh, nice and easy one That's, for you. Yes. And then what, you, what you're really passionate about you know, okay. from, a, from your working perspective. So okay. let's start with uh, your role at Ultimate. All right, then. I will do that. Um, first of all, thank you for having me. I'm delighted to be here. So HCM Innovation or, or Innovation, um, it's, it's such a, a, a great title. Um, it's something that everyone should really be part of. Uh, innovation shouldn't be limited to just one person or one team. But um, the, the, the work is really looking at what is it that we need to do, understand, and how do we change the conversation for HR? HR, I believe, has been somewhat stuck between a rock and a hard place. Um, we hear it all the time. And 
Having been an HR professional, been a, an HR generalist, uh, the opportunity to really understand what are some of the biggest challenges that HR leaders face, what even more importantly are the challenges that employees face today, um, what managers are looking to do, and bringing all of that um, and bringing new research to bear on how do we change the conversation. I think that too often we sort of assume, yeah, well, we're stuck in the compliance world, which yes, it's true, but that doesn't mean that that has to limit what we do. So um, HCM Innovation looks at um, how do, what do we research? Um, what are some of the trends that are happening more broadly across disciplines that have an impact on the world of HR? And how do we change, again, not just the conversation, but even the actions and the behaviors of HR so that we aren't stuck mm. um, in, in a rut, uh, if you will? So um, that's the, the work that we do is, is research, uh, share that externally with the public. And I also spend some time with our product teams to bring that information back uh, so that we're delivering relevant and, and, and really, really valuable solutions. So that's sort of what it's about. So I bet no two days are the same. Then, <clears throat> Not even close. Um, no two days are the same, but that's actually one of the things I'm passionate about. Um, if, if I can segue Perfect into segue that. segue there. Look at um, that. Love it. So, so one of the things that, that I love about the work that I do is I have an opportunity to meet with HR professionals all over the world. I don't limit myself to one or two countries, to Europe, to the United States. I, um, I have the opportunity to travel and look at how HR practices are different um, in different parts of the world and also the kinds of things that are most important to employees are actually vastly different. There are some universal truths without a doubt, but there are some really interesting distinctions and being able to have a better understanding of what impacts individuals, what allows them to be successful, what prevents them from being successful every day. Mm. That's what's most, that's what I'm most passionate about because even on an individual basis, day to day, I do an awful lot of sponsoring. Um, I don't just mentor people because mentoring is very easy. You can do that behind closed doors. When you sponsor someone, you put your reputation, you put your, your name um, on the line to actually help other people succeed. And so I'm passionate about doing that. And the work that I do allows me to really have a very, very broad um, touch and, and, and relationship with people. Okay, cool. Right, so let's get to the number of why we're here today. Okay. I want to have a chat with you about This Little Beauty, which okay. is your book, From Dissonance to Resonance. And I've just realized this is a podcast that I'm holding up, and the people that are listening to this can't actually see the book. So That's what right. we'll do is we'll put a link in the podcast okay. notes and stuff to the book itself. So Perfect. can you just, let's start off by a little bit of the background as to what was the inspiration behind the book? Yeah. So um, I, I studied anthropology uh, as I started out. And so my fascination with people um, led me to have all these fantastic conversations. And over the past several years, I've realized that through the conversations I've had with leaders, employees uh, across the world, that there is some of these conversations really could help others in what they're trying to do. There's a lot of talk about we need to transform the world of HR. We need to make our, our organizations and our work more engaging for people. And that theme kept coming back over and over again. Mm. And so 
I wanted to try to distill and actually share some of those conversations because no, no, you don't come up with just a, an idea for a book on your own. It was more a question of, I actually think that some of these things really should be shared more broadly. And so um, I credit the ideas and, and all these things that are part of the book with the conversations I've had with so many people, with professionals, with influencers in the, you know, with, with partners such as yourself. Those are sort of what have inspired what inspired that. But the the title itself, from dissonance to resonance. Um, yes. I don't know if any of you um, ever played music or have family members that were learning an instrument, and there's nothing worse than dissonance um, when it comes to music. It's 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 horrible. It's grating. It's like whoa, I can't handle that. Yeah. Um, and I wanted to explore sort of the idea that one of the common themes that I heard with through the past several years is that people are struggling with creating environments in which people are engaged in the work that they do, and yet engagement hasn't changed. And people are, are working to, oh, we're going to have new initiatives and all these things, and we're not changing mm -hmm. enough yet. And so there's this dissonance between people and their organizations. And I, I hear young people who are just new entrants into the workforce saying, this is totally outdated. This makes mm -hmm. no sense for us. Why can't I just have a conversation? Why is hierarchy so important? All of these sorts of mm. things. And I wanted to be able to say, so what's the opposite of this sort of dissonance that we're in, mm. of this mismatch, this, this kind of discomfort that we feel? Well, that's creating resonance. Yeah. Um, but there's a, there's a little bit of a double entente with resonance also, because resonance from a, 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 um, a physics standpoint means that when you get Two, two different objects operating on the same frequency, their natural frequency, then that actually creates an amplification. And at the end of the day, aren't we all looking for that sort of amplification that takes yeah. us to the next level? Absolutely. Um, and rather than just sort of existing um, the way we have. So that's really what, what I was striving to, to uncover. Okay. And um, just on the point that you mentioned about like the, uh, the outdated kind yeah. of... Um, I've obviously read the book. Fascinating yeah. read. Really, really good read, actually. <laughs> a good read for the tube. Yeah, um, perfect. At the time of <laughs> at the time of right, uh, sorry, at the time of podcasting, uh, we're in the midst of this coronavirus uh, situation, I so I don't think I'll be reading on the tube very no. often. I'll probably be reading it from home. There you go. But um, <laughs> I digress. Well. I digress. Yeah. What I'm fascinated about is this idea that you mentioned in your book around this kind of the military yeah. sort of operating or you know businesses that effectively are still stuck in this kind of post-war yeah. uh, military approach can you just expand on that in yeah. a much more articulate way than i've just done <laughs> because obviously you wrote the book no, so. No. so so i think one of the things that we that we forget is the origin of our traditional management command and control sort of structure and hierarchy was actually founded in the military mm. um and so the and and even in that environment, this idea that, you know, someone was in control, we've sort of forgotten that that, that relationship is also based on the fact, and actually Simon Sinek talks about this, that, that in many cases, we earn the ability. We don't, we aren't just bestowed leadership. Um, you have to earn that, that trust from employees. And you do that by taking care of them, putting their needs before yours. And I think we've lost some of that. And oftentimes what we see is we have this hierarchy and people are sort of bestowed this title of you are a leader mm. um, and you make all the decisions. 
And realistically, that is the most disengaging kind of relationship in the workplace. Nobody wants a relationship in which they're just told what to do mm. um, today. In some cases, certainly, you need to know what's most important, but that's more of a conversation. And that changes. It's very dynamic. Um, and so this sort of military history that we have or, or, or heritage to a lot of our traditional um, systems makes no sense in many cases in a world in which even the nature of military and combat has changed so dramatically. Mm. It's much, much more targeted. It's much more dispersed. It's all these sorts of things. And so we have to rethink what leadership is and even the qualities of leadership. This is really, mm. really um, uh, an important distinction. We often think of leaders as well. They have commanding voices because that's what they needed to have. Well, actually today, People are much more interested in leaders that are empathetic, leaders that are approachable, the opposite of what a traditional view of what a leader should have been. And that's sort of upending who is more successful in your organization as a leader. Yeah. So let's touch on that then just for a second. How many businesses, because as you said, you travel yeah. the world, you speak yeah. to lots of organizations. How many businesses do you actually think get that right and are actively doing that? Oh, a more, a more uh, conversational type of yeah, approach? Yeah, that type of leader. When I talk to organizations, I would say 80 to 90, 90% of organizations today are still struggling with leadership. In fact, I think it was even two years ago, it was, uh, there was a, a colleague of mine was doing research and found that 80% of HR leaders said if they could redirect their entire budget for development, for learning, training, they would redirect it to develop managers wow. in their yeah. in their organizations because unfortunately people don't go to school they don't go to university to become good managers and we have all had horrible managers and it's brutal mm. people leave because of that that relationship so very very few people are getting that that notion i think we're getting closer as we start looking at more conversational uh, performance, for example, sort of more of a continuous ongoing performance is one of those things that's shifting because it's forcing leaders to become more coaches and to have conversations. I can't tell you how often I've spoken to leaders who have actually said, yeah, I just, I don't want to have those tough conversations. I would rather just give someone a rating, you know, and you talk to employees. First of all, 90% of HR leaders say that the rating system makes no sense. Mm. Um, you give someone a rating and it's lost. And 95% of employees are like, I, that's demotivating Yeah, to just be assigned a number at the end of the year is horribly demotivating. So mm. we still haven't got it right at all. I think there's a, a desire to do that, but not everyone is sure. How do we do some of these things? Yeah. And uh, yeah, I guess, and as you've got more younger people entering yeah. the workforce and again slightly touching on what we talked about with the kind of the outdated the military approach as as individuals and employees start to say well actually no we don't want to behave in this kind yeah. of manner i guess there are going to need to be organizations that are brave and just try and break that mold if you're yeah. saying that 80 to 90 percent of them are still quite dated yeah. you know we need some more people to be a bit more brave perhaps yeah and i also think that we have to really, really get much more creative and nimble in particular in the world of HR. So if you think about it, no one goes into HR, say, to be a compliance expert that really, really gets administration just 
awesomely. That's not what we do. That's not why most of us got into the world of HR. We do that because we're interested in people. We want to create an environment in which people can actually thrive. And so there are people who are really, really good at creating systems, policies, practices that create an environment in which people really, truly can thrive. And that happens very, very well. The challenge, though, is that we often have employees that don't even know how to approach. There are a lot of employees that have no idea what HR is, mm. honestly. You know, we sort of live in this world and we think, oh, yeah, everybody knows about HR. You ask somebody on the street, half of them are like, no, no idea what HR is. Do they pay us? Great. That's who it is. So if we don't have people who are actually advocating for people, helping them understand and truly feeling that they have an advocate or an agent within the world of HR, that's almost creating sort of a bifurcation in the role of what HR could be. Mm. Compliance, by the way, HR needs to get over themselves and say, you know what, HR, compliance, that should be automated. That is something that machines can and will be doing. So if you're focused on compliance, by the way, and you're in the world of HR, mm. I would think about reskilling a little bit because it's not going to be where the future of HR yeah. is. That can be automated. That can be handled. Yeah. Well, it's interesting you say that. And again, some of the uh, the trends that I've got Joe sitting behind me and he's the silent <laughs> sort of uh, looker on at the moment. But, uh, he's presented with us earlier on in this, this session about some of the trends of yeah. you know this increased idea of automating. And also, I've had conversations today at this PeopleDoc event where we've talked about the jobs that exist right now are not going to be the same jobs. There not are lots of close. jobs that exist right now that are going to be different. And it's not that people are going to be out of jobs. It's just that the types of jobs are going to change. Yeah. And in it, you also talk about, in your presentation that you did yeah. earlier, you talked about a, a labor shortage. Yeah. So perhaps you can actually just touch on that. I, I think we're sort of dipping in between the book yeah, yeah, and the, yeah, the yeah. presentation. That's perhaps true. you can touch on some of the challenges there. But then what is in your book, which I found fascinating, is where you were talking about looking towards diverse sort of groups of mm -hmm. people yeah. that really, as businesses, we should be looking a little bit closer at because... Yeah. It feels like there's whole swathes of individuals who are yeah. talented who just aren't getting a look in. And yeah. if businesses were a little bit more savvy to this, yeah. then perhaps they'd have a larger workforce or a larger potential workforce Absolutely. that they can really look at. Yeah, yeah. No, it's 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 it's, it's interesting because we, we know that this labor shortage um, on a global scale has been brewing for a number of years, but we still sort of say, ah, oh, that's not really my problem. There are a couple of countries where they have a, a huge labor shortage. But the reality is, is that the labor shortage can show up or manifest itself as a labor mismatch just as easily. In countries like, like Spain, for example, huge mismatch in terms of the, the available labor and the work that needs to be done. And that's, that's showing itself in, in the UK, it's showing up everywhere. Is Again, a labor shortage isn't necessarily there aren't enough people, although that is the reality in many places and that will increasingly be the reality, but it's also a skills mismatch. Mm. And part of that is because there, you mentioned these huge swaths of, of, of people who are, I, I think of them as underemployed. So People um, with different backgrounds, people of color in general, are underemployed in, in many parts of the world, certainly yep. in, in Europe, in, in the United States, um, are underemployed. People with disabilities are generally um, have twice, anywhere between a third to twice the um, under underemployment or unemployment rate of any of, of what would be seen as the abled uh, yeah. workforce. And so it's 
organizations cannot afford to overlook these populations anymore, which means we have to create environments where people truly belong. Not just that they're included, not just that we hire or bring people in who are diverse, um, because it's very, very easy to bring in diversity, to keep true diversity requires inclusion and belonging. So even inclusion implies uh, this, this power dynamic where I, I am, I am allowing you to be included. I'm including you because I have the power to include you. The reality is people should just belong and it shouldn't take work. It shouldn't be about fitting in. It should be that you belong regardless of what you bring to the table because it's that difference that is the strength that we have. So we have to think differently about the, the skills, the capabilities that truly define the work that we need done. If we think that, you know, you know, just because you, know, you speak the same way that I do, um, you've got the same background, you make eye contact, even though we're on a podcast and no one can see us <laughs> speaking, that, that, that's not what makes you better at this. Yeah. If somebody looks away and they have a great voice, they might be an even better podcaster, not to say that you're not the best podcaster well, around, but those are things. Yeah. But you're right. Sometimes when I am actually have my thought process, I do actually look away from the person I'm speaking to because I'm trying to process yeah. in my mind. Yeah. So again, sorry. I yeah, no, it's true. It it's true though. But we often think, no, well, I want someone who's got, who makes great eye contact. Mm. Instead of being offended that you're looking away, I assume that you're getting your thoughts processing. sorted out, yeah. right? And processing. So that those are the things that we have to think about and redefine what truly a qualified individual is and what work needs to be so that our work is more accessible to people of all ages, um, of all backgrounds, of you know different, different populations, different abilities, all of those sorts of things. Mm. Um, because otherwise we simply will not be able to grow Yes, technology will help us in some of those areas, but it won't fill the gap entirely. There are certain things that people need to be able to do. Mm. Problem solving, empathy, those kinds of things, those are, those are human characteristics, essentially. And often we think of, oh, somebody who's on the autism spectrum, they don't have any empathy. Well, they do. It may be empathy for something completely different, though, and not the way that we express it. It could be empathy for animals. Okay, well, then that person would do wonderfully within a veterinarian's office, right? So, but we never think th about those things, um, and we're missing out, truly. And, uh, and, and we cannot afford to miss out anymore, mm -hmm. because if we aren't thinking differently about this now, it's going to be a, a, a crisis. It already is in certain parts of the world, but it will be a, a massive crisis. And mm. it's the, that whole war for talent that we've talked about for 10 odd years um, is going to be crushing. Yeah. Um, so I'm going to give you a hypothetical crystal ball now. Okay. There you go. I'm handing it across yeah, to you from wonderful. the table. So, Love it. <laughs> um, how many businesses, again, kind of theme mm -hmm. from the, the previous question, how many businesses do you think are seriously looking at this at the moment? That's the first thing. And if you could use your crystal ball to predict where this particular sort of type of workforce, you know, yeah. whether businesses are actually going to um, adopt this, where do you see us in, or can you put a time frame into when you see businesses actually starting to have that light bulb moment and realize they have these these collectives of very talented people that they need to start tapping into. Yeah. So I think that there's actually more awareness now than there has been. Um, so awareness is, is quite strong. Diversity, equity, and inclusion is a, is a hot topic now. We're starting to see legislation finally mm. about pay equity as an example, and you have to be very open about that. The challenge that we have though, is that we are still siloing a little bit too much. Okay, well, we've sorted out pay equity. This is great. We reported on it. We're done. 
This mm. is great. Um, well, we have an autism program uh, for engineers, but are all people on the autism spectrum math autistics? Probably not. Mm -hmm. So we're still sort of looking at this a little bit too narrowly and we're not educating ourselves and, and organizations aren't educating themselves enough. I would say from an awareness perspective, we're probably well over 50% of organizations are aware that diversity, equity, inclusion is important. Um, that creating an environment of belonging is important, although that's still a little bit further out. There's still an awful lot of resistance too, though. There's this idea that, yeah, yeah, it's not really our problem yet. It's a dangerous way to be thinking um, because if you aren't starting now, uh, in five years, you won't be in a, in, a, in a place to do that. And I think we've chosen. Okay, we're okay with gender equity. Mm. Great. We're good with gender from a balanced perspective, but is that actually true all the way through? Is it we're bringing in the same number of people? Are women being promoted at the same level? Probably not, since only about 5% of the top level executives are women. So again, we think, we sort of congratulate ourselves that we're aware of this and we are balancing things at one level of the organization, but we're not taking it far enough. Yeah. And we're also still not looking enough at what some of those distinctions are. Yeah. So I think that's, it, it, we still have a long way to go. I mean, I think for, for pay equity, we're still looking at things, I don't know, isn't it 200 or so years before yeah. we reach parity when it comes to um, gender yep. equity? I'm sure I've seen. Yeah, it's, it's, well. it's around 200 years at the pace that we're going. So if we don't do better. So this is the key <laughs> thing. It's getting from the, let's move from the awareness to the action. Side. Absolutely. Okay. I think we'll, we'll wrap up in a minute, but yeah. before we do, I would like to put you on the spot slightly and say, mm -hmm. let's just say that you can only give, because there's a number of interesting um, mm -hmm. bits. I'm holding up the book again, like yeah. other people can see it. And I'm holding it <laughs> up at <laughs> you as if like you haven't seen it before. <laughs> I've seen it. I'm familiar with it. Yeah. <laughs> Not at all. Um, if there's only one snippet that um, you could offer listeners right now um, who are listening to this pod that you'd like them to take away. One thing, one little, one little seed that you'd yeah. plant in their head from this, what would it be from this book? I would have to say that our workforce is becoming much more fluid. They are much more tolerant of change than we think they are. Uh, they are much more hungry for growth opportunities than we think they are. They are much more adaptive and adaptable than we would expect. They expect and celebrate difference more than they have. Um, that's manifested in the fact that most people are comfortable, in fact, that newer entrants into the workforce um, are really comfortable with identity fluidity. Mm. You know, I'm gender fluid. I am, you know, d don't put me in a box. Mm -hmm. um, I, I defy categorization. That's one thing. Um, that's identity fluidity. Job fluidity. Nobody wants to say, yes, this is my job and my career. Like, well, this is what I'm doing right now. I mean, when's the last time somebody said, yes, this is what I'll be doing for the next 20 years? It's not. Nope. You know, where there's this, this notion of jobs are much more fluid and we want to be able to contribute to that definition of what we're doing in an organization. It's not enough to just say, here's my job. The minute you have a job description, it's irrelevant or it's outdated. So don't bother with that. And then the third is organizational fluidity. Hierarchies don't work. We get reorged and we're exhausted by this, okay, now who do I report to? People just want to contribute and they want to keep doing a good job, regardless of where that falls. And hierarchies are generally something that, um, 
that demote that are demotivating unless of course you're the top of the hierarchy <laughs> but in most cases it's not something people are like yeah i want to reach x level mm -hmm. and so the workforce organization people jobs all are becoming much more fluid and if we aren't ready for this wave of fluidity literally and figuratively mm -hmm. um we are going to continue with this environment of dissonance that is negatively impacting productivity engagement and the world we live in overall so it's kind of a long bit but no, there you go no, that was absolutely <laughs> perfect so thank you very much for joining me it's been really really interesting to hear your thoughts on you know the future of future of work effectively yeah. and also areas of tech i was about to say pockets of talent but it's not pockets these are these are huge groups of people that we need to start tapping into. So, Cecile, Absolutely. thank you very much for joining us on the HR and the Offensive podcast. Thank you very much for having me.